Acts 19, chapter, uh, Acts 19 and verses 1 through 5, note this. The Apostle Paul comes to certain ones. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, Under what then were ye baptized? Now, I, as I pointed out, I believe this is water baptism. I'm sorry Brother Crawford didn't hear tonight because I've known that man for years and I love him. Now, I, there's no water mentioned here, but I still think it's water baptism. And uh, they said unto him, unto John's baptism, and I believe that was a water baptism. John said, I baptize with water. Now reading on, then said Paul, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is unto Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, that's, uh, I want to read the whole context and make it clear. Now, notice this. Here's a man who said to Peter, Peter, why don't you obey the truth? Here's a man who said to the Galatians, why don't you people obey the truth? And when these people came to him and talked about a baptism they'd experienced, he, said to the, he didn't say to them, well, why don't you people wise up and obey the truth? There's no such thing as baptism. Now, why didn't he say that? He didn't say it. Now, let's, uh, let's go uh, one step beyond that. He challenged truth, he challenged those who did not obey the truth, those who did not walk according to the truth at every turn. In none of his writings did he ever challenge baptism by immersion. Now, his writings concern primarily spirit baptism, but he never once challenged baptism by immersion. Now, I read my time's getting short, isn't it? No, you have eight minutes. Oh, well, all right. Let me, let me emphasize the fact that he neither challenged John's baptism nor baptism by immersion. I want to emphasize that. Now, coming back to these verses that I've already gone over, because I'll need what I have left to summarize here. Paul thanked God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he had, as I read it now, there's no necessity of your believing as I believe. But Paul thanked God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he had not baptized carnal or permissive people. Now, as I pointed out in the afternoon session, I'm meticulously careful in this regard. When someone comes, when someone came to Bethlehem years ago, when someone came to Clintonville over the last 14 years that I was there, when someone came for the short time I was in Phoenixville, when someone comes in this Marian church, as we have with these 15 people, and indicate that they have a desire to be baptized, and as I say, I want to see desire there. I want to see the Spirit working, as well as just simply joining a church. I, I don't want people to just join the church. I want people to uh, know Jesus Christ and be obedient to Him. That's the important thing with me. All right, now, I, I notice this very carefully, that... Um, when uh, he thanked God he had not baptized carnal or permissive people. I would hate to think that as the pastor who has the responsibility set forth in Hebrews 13, that when I stand before the Lord, after all of the care I have exercised, that I would stand there and hear him say of my ministry that I had baptized this kind of person. Because to me, baptism by immersion is a very solemn service. One should not enter into it, such like marriage, lightly. Let's face it honestly. I believe it's a very solemn thing. Then when I look at Ephesians 4 with you, I say that his many ones or unities in uh, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6 have many aspects, just as the church has many members. And I say, likewise, baptism. Finally, I say that the man Paul, as I read him in the New Testament, who consistently challenged error. And if I may just call your thought to attention to one more thought, and this verse was not before me, I didn't include this in my thinking, but it's in Galatians chapter uh, 2 also, or chapter 1. You remember that when he came, no, it's in chapter 2, you remember when he came to the church at uh, Galatia, at Galatia, there was on the part of James and John and Peter 
who seem to be pillars in the church, that's the way he describes them, that they extended to him and to his associates the right hand of fellowship, beginning at verse 9, he and Barnabas, that they should go to the heathen, the Gentiles, and they would go to the uncircumcised. Now here's the man who in the book of Acts is one of the leading three, and if not, uh, yes, the leader of the three, he withstands him to his face because he is an error. Now, if this man with this spirit, if there were error involved in this baptism, then I am convinced that he would have withstood the, this issue also, as he did the issue of uh, circumcision. As I repeat myself, in Galatians he said, why don't you obey the truth? He never challenged water baptism in all of his writings. And when he had the opportunity to teach people that John's baptism, and therefore baptism in water, because John said, I baptize in, in water. Uh, when he had the opportunity to baptize, to say to them, baptism is of no avail now, as I understand my Bible, he himself baptized them, and then laid his hands upon them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So this is the reason why, dear friends, I believe that baptism is for today as it was in days gone by, but just in the light of progressive revelation. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a baptism under repentance for the remission of sins. In John, it's related to grace, and I believe from that moment on, it is also related to the grace experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brother Davis. Uh, each man will be given a few minutes tonight to present a summation of his other presentations for the whole day, and then that it will differ a little bit too from the two previous sessions. I neglected to mention that, but uh, I'm still insisted on getting him out here at nine o'clock. So it, uh, we may even have to cut those short because I think we are pretty much uh, squared away on what their positions are and what they understand the scriptures. You may want to devote that time to questions, especially if you seem to have a number of them. We'll hear now from Brother Stan, who will take his uh, 30 minutes and present his understanding of the significance of water baptism for today. Did you want to talk about him that you're so anxious to get him out of here? <laughs> well, it's 7.34. If that's what you'd like to do, I'll leave right now. <laughs> Oh, bless your heart. I know, of no more, I know of no more choice morsel than roast preacher. <laughs> yeah, I've never had it. But it's wonderful that we can, as Christians, get together and discuss this book. We all sincerely believe, I'm sure, what we stand for. And uh, I'm sure it's the desire of Brother Davis, as well as it is mine, as well as it is yours, just to be right. Is that right? Just to really know God's Word Amen. and get the sense. I often pray. I'm not so excited that we're talking about that, Brother Crawford and I, this afternoon. I'm not so excited about words and figure parts of speech and so on. I often pray, Lord, give me the sense of this passage. Help me to understand the Sense. Now then, water baptism in Paul's epistles. And here, of course, mine will, it will be positive what I have to say rather than negative, and yet it has to do why water baptism is not for today. You understand, of course, that that is my position. You're going to be positively negative. Positively <laughs> negative. Negatively positive. Would you uh, turn with me, please, to Romans 6? And I would like first to discuss those passages which, as I understand it, Brother Crawford and Brother Davis and I all agree do not have to do with water baptism. Romans 6, 3 and 4. This is one of Paul's 15 know-ye-nots. Every one of them has a tone of reproof in it. The very phrase does, don't you know? Know ye not? Now then, 
Romans 6, 3. Know ye not, don't you know, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, into Jesus Christ, into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Uh, years ago, I had a Baptist pastor. I suppose that Brother Crawford probably would know him. Edward Drew, you know who he is anyway, a truly great man of God, and I was greatly blessed under his ministry. But uh, he said about this into, don't you know as many of you are baptized into Christ or baptized into his death? About this word into, ice, some pronounce it ace in the original. He said, brethren, this should be translated or should have been translated onto 208 times in the New Testament. This word is translated onto. What he neglected to tell us was that 571 times is translated into. For the great majority of times that that word is used, it is translated into. And even if it were translated onto, it does not have the effect of stopping short from coming into Christ. Remember Paul's sacramental phrase is, in Christ, in Christ. And before we can be in Christ, we have to get into Christ, don't we? But the word unto, I don't see how it makes any great difference. You read many passages such as, and he went unto Jerusalem, he went unto Bethsaida. Does that mean that he stopped short on the outskirts of the city? No, he went into it. The word unto simply has the idea, rather, of the, of the journey, but it's still in certainly the great majority of cases in our Bibles has the idea of entering into. At any rate, the great vast majority of cases, it either is the word into or has the sense of into. Here is the very word uh, in our English, of course. Uh, know ye not that so many of us were, as were baptized into Christ. Now let's get the sense, the feel of that word baptized there. I agree with Brother Crawford that baptism, the word as such, does not mean to dip or to sprinkle either one, but means it, it, it denotes a complete identification with anything or any, any uh, climate or element. element. Now then, we were baptized into Christ. Let me get it first, that makes it very clear. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we can all understand that. By one Spirit are we all, or were we all, baptized into one body. The meaning there is simple enough, isn't it? We became part of that body. We were made one in that body by one Spirit, the one baptism of one spirit. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Now, isn't it a fact that we were also baptized into Christ in that very same way? How were we baptized into Christ? How did we get into Christ? How is it that Paul can now say you're in Christ? How did that come about? There is no place that it could come about except that Calvary. I have to go to the cross, and I have to say, as it were, he's dying. Whose death is he dying? That's not his death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men because all have sinned. So death is clearly the result of sin. Well, he did no sin. Why is he dying? Whose death is he dying? Not his own. 
designed my death. And when by an act of faith, I look to Calvary and say, that's not his death. This is my death he is dying. By that act of faith, when I accept that death as mine, I become one with him. Because that's the, he's dying it there at Calvary. He's dying my death. And when I acknowledge that by faith, I become one with him. Do you follow me? Now that's what he means, it seems to me, when he says, Don't you know that as many of us as have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? You never could get into Christ and be in Christ unless you first got into his death, as it were. Because that wasn't his death, actually. It's your death that he was dying. And as you say, that's not his death, that's mine. And I accept that as the payment for my sin. I believe that he died for my sin. We become one with him. Don't you know, he said, that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. It, it seems to me that has to be the same baptism. It, it seems unlikely that this would now be another baptism introduced, and a, and a baptism that couldn't produce what this verse says it does produce. The therefore simply means, well, if you, if you died with him, what do you do with somebody that's died? You can't grieve over him forever. You can't say, let's keep his body in the parlor and have visitors and hold weight forever. Finally, what do you have to do? You have to bury him. And that's what God says we are to do with the old man. Actually, it was done in Christ, but we must accept it by faith. That old man was put off. He was put away. He was crucified and he was buried. After he was crucified, we don't go and bury him then. No, he was buried in that same baptism. He was put away as far as God is concerned. But we are to accept that by faith. That's why he says, Reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. We have to reckon it as so, because before God it is so. And this was done that we might walk in newness of life. I might say here one word about immersion. I honestly don't see it in the Bible. If it doesn't come from Romans 6, Colossians 2, and Galatians 3, the verses that I understood, we all agreed was not water baptism, then where does it come from? We never bury people in water. They didn't bury people in water when Christ was on earth. How could water baptism speak of a burial? And look, for example, for a moment at Mark the seventh chapter. Now, in Mark the seventh chapter, the first five, the first eight verses, uh, the word baptizo is used, or it's uh, the noun baptismos. Baptizo is the verb, is used one, two, three times, and the word nipto, which means to rinse, is used three times, and they are used interchangeably. The second verse, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, unbaptized hand. That's the word baptizo there in the original. Then in the next, except the Jews baptize their hands off, they eat not. The one that seems to me to make it impossible to mean buried is the fifth verse. So does the, uh, the other two, but the fifth verse where baptism is used again. Then the Pharisees asked him, I beg your pardon, I meant the uh, eighth verse <coughs> where you find baptizo again. Uh, I should have said, I'm sorry, go back. I had a, a, a circle in the cross here and I took the wrong one. It is in verses four and five which says, except they baptize, they wash not. Now, verse four, the baptism uh, of cups and pots and brazen vessels and tables? Did they bury them before they ate? Much less did they bury them all? Bury their tables in water before they ate? Surely not. And yet that's that very same word, baptizo, and in one case, baptismal. 
Now then, I don't believe this has to do with burial in water at all. I don't think that is in the Bible. In fact, if my dear Baptist brethren will be very gracious with me, I do want to be as frank and open and forthright as I, as you would want me to be, I think it's as crude as can be. I think the baptism ceremony, the, the uh, immersion ceremony, rather than being a beautiful picture of a burial with Christ, is not that at all. It isn't beautiful to me to see people come soaking wet out of a tank of water, their clothes clean to themselves, and so on. And certainly in John's day, in Peter's day, in Paul's day, they didn't have hair dryers and all the things that I read in the instructions given to the candidates for baptism today. No, I don't think it is in all the Bible. Immersion is not there. And I think there are many cases where it can be proved by the clearest implications, at least, that they couldn't have been buried in water. <laughs> now then, at least, may I beg of you, <laughs> don't put a drop of water in this and take away the marvelous meaning, the rich blessing that is to be found here. Don't you know how Paul would thunder it today? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized not first into his burial, into his death? We had to recognize that that was our death. Now may we go please to Galatians 3 and uh, verses 26 and 27. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Now here. For ye are all the children of God, ye are, he's writing to Galatians, believers, by faith in Christ Jesus. Not in, but for is the next word. For. He connects this baptism in verse 27 with faith in Christ Jesus. Because for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have done what? Have put on Christ. You are now in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, and so on. Colossians 2, please. Here's the third passage, and I think if we should preface it, uh, the passage itself, with the eighth verse, uh, beware, he said, lest any man spoil you. Now this spoil doesn't mean the way that Grandma spoils little Johnny. It means to rob you, to make plunder of you. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. How could I be anything but complete? That is, spiritually, religiously, some people would say complete if I'm in Christ. I'm not complete as far as my state is concerned, but I'm complete as far as my standing is concerned. I'm not uh, complete as far as my condition is concerned, far from complete, but I'm complete as far as my position is concerned, for that is in Christ. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and now it seems to me I see here a text and a sermon. The text is you're complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised, with a circumcision made without hand, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, and that's really the end of a parenthesis, by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, you're circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. You know what circumcision was. It spoke death to the flesh. It separated Abraham's male seed from the licentious Gentiles all about them. And it said these are different. Now he says, we have circumcision in Christ. 
Verse 12, buried with him, not like him, not like him, buried with him. When he was buried, we were buried. We're buried with him in baptism, in that union, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of whose operation? The operation of God in the circumcision, the death of the flesh, it's the circumcision made without hands, he says. In this burial, he says, it is a baptism wrought by the operation of God. Now then, there you have, and he says, you're also raised, wherein also you're raised with him. So you have death, burial, and resurrection without hands by the operation of God. Now, that's why Ephesians 1, 6 says, uh, in whom we are made accepted in the Beloved, or the Beloved One. And it seems to me that this is what that one baptism of Ephesians 4 has to speak about. This is the subject of Paul's whole message. This is the subject of it all. I wonder, did I put that in here now, or do I have it somewhere else? I put somewhere. Here it is. Here it is. You find in Paul's preaching of the cross something so different from what you find when Peter blames his hearers for the cross. If you want a real feast sometimes, a real spiritual treat, you go home and you take your strong concordance and look up three words, the blood, the death, and the crucifixion of Christ. The cross or crucifixion, crucified, and death, and the blood. And listen, I just had some written down and told the, the young lady at the office, type these for me, will you? And then take a picture of it because I want to keep it for something else. No writer in the Bible has so much to say about what was accomplished at the cross and for me and how this is reckoned to me. When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. We're saved through faith in his blood. We have redemption through his blood. We're justified by his blood. We're reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. We have peace with God through the blood of the cross. We're made nigh by the blood of Christ. We're baptized into his death. We're reconciled into one body by the cross. The covenant of the law was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. Through death he destroyed him that had the power of death. He died that believers might live not unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. He died that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Christ crucified, he said, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Galatians 6, 14, and here's a great contrast. Peter said, you took Christ by wicked hands and you crucified him, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast, except in one thing. This is so beautiful. God help me not to boast ever. I have nothing to boast of except one thing, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He went everywhere boasting about the cross and what it had accomplished. Now we're to show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Well, there's more, but these are outstanding passages, and Paul's epistles are just full of that, what the cross has accomplished for us. Now then, don't you see, Paul says, that as many of us as were made one with Christ, were made one with him how? How were we baptized into Christ? Only one way, when we became one with him in his death when we were baptized into his death, when we said, that's not his death, that's my death he died. I wonder, would this be 
unfair or anything, or would they may not like it in the church if I use that black word? No, go right ahead. You think that'd be all right? Certainly. I just want to, I've got an article coming in the next issue of the Searchlight about this one baptism of which the Apostle, oh, I, I say it's a theme of an epistle, uh, of an epistle, pardon me. Now look, really, Roman Catholic and the word, it seems to me, use the word baptism more correctly than many of us do. They'll say a boy went to war and he got into battles and they say he had his baptism of fire. What do they mean? He really got into it there, you see. Now, though the word is not used, I submit that the Lord Jesus, at his birth, was baptized into the human race. In exactly the same way as 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says we're baptized to be one of us more holy, to show that he would take the blame for our sins. And he went even farther than that. He went to Calvary's cross where he took not merely the blame, but the penalty for our sins. He called that a baptism. Luke 12, what is it, 50, I believe, or 52. He says, I have a baptism to be. This is after water baptism. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened? S-T-R-A-I-T. What a spot I'm in until that has been accomplished. Remember how he said to the twelve apostles, can you drink of the cup that I'm to drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be? He was speaking, of course, of his baptism in our death at Calvary's cross. Now Paul says, don't you know that as many of us as have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, just as he was baptized into our death. And that's what he says, Luke 12, 50. Just as he took our death and made it his own, so we take that death that he died for us and we make it, we say, oh, that's not his death, that's my death. And so we become one with him. And isn't that, forgetting the words, isn't that the fact? Didn't you become one with Christ when you learned that he was the one that died your death and you accepted that great fact and trusted him as your Savior? That having been done, we're now here again. The word is not used. The idea is certainly there. Just as he was baptized into our guilt when he was numbered with the transgressors there, when he went to a baptism of confession of sin. So we're now baptized into his righteousness. Isn't that true? Isn't that the righteousness we have? It's not our own. It's his righteousness. And I have been covered, as it were, with his righteousness. And so then we are now numbered with, as he became one with the human race, we become, this doesn't even right. There's a third circle, another circle. There it is. And we become uh, one with the body of Christ by one spirit. Are we all baptized in a one body? That's a tremendous and a, and a wonderful process to see how Christ became one of the human race and then became guilty, as it were, with them. Went to a baptism that was a baptism of repentance and confession. Then even took the payment of their sins upon himself. And uh, in inverted order, that's how we get saved and get to be numbered not with transgressors, but with the saints. Thank you, my dear brother. All right, we're ready for your questions. Uh, yes, uh, Mark, uh, Brother Davis mentioning the church at Corinth and the Lord... Uh, or excuse me, and Paul stating there that he was not interested in baptizing such carnal individuals, permissive, yes. carnal permissive individuals. Uh, these individuals, according to my reading of the opening verses of First Corinthians, were saints, right. members of the household of God, right, <laughs> and carnals all get out. That's uh, what the book says. Yeah, that's right. But do we have a right to actually deny individuals baptism uh, because of their present unlearned state? We take them for what they are on the profession of their faith and 
on the basis of their profession of faith, which we count as being the evidence of their uh, salvation and their willingness and desire to be baptized, we baptize them. You know? And if we waited in, the, in our Baptist churches today to baptize believers, when they finally come to maturity, the majority of them would never ever get baptized. That's right. Now, uh, a lot of them shouldn't be baptized, too. Well, a lot of them should not be baptized. That's right. Well, this is so much in contrast with what I've heard in the last 10 years that I guess this is the thing that strikes me as being different because we just don't get anywhere with them in Baptist churches that I've attended recently uh, until they're baptized. They can't take communion. They can't do this. They can't do the other thing. They're just absolutely, if they're, they're, they're born again, and that's the best you can say for them. They have no opportunity of service, nothing else. They're, they'd have to grow. And at the rate they're growing in the average Baptist church, they never would get baptized if they had to be uh, spiritual individuals, spiritual individuals to be baptized. In addition to this, Paul, I'd like to ask uh, Brother Davis, in, in connection with your question too, what, by what criterion or how would we determine exactly who was or was not a fit candidate for baptism if we do not take their profession of faith at face value? After he's just been saved, too. Well, now, I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you. <laughs> because I had lost my thought, and you brought it back. <laughs> this question was raised this morning, uh, just passingly, and again this afternoon with more force. Why these people were uh, baptized immediately with the exception of Paul and Damascus. We've had some discussion on that also. Why they were baptized immediately then as over against having a long delay now. Well, let me say this. Back in that early church, the uh, Spirit of God permeated the atmosphere. Let me go a little, apparently, afar afield for a moment, and I'll get back. Believe it or not, people I preach to will guarantee you this over these 25 years. I always get back. <laughs> so stay with me. There was a couple in the, in the church at Acts, and it was a church because fear came upon the whole ecclesia there. And these people came into the presence of Peter and the apostles, and they lied to God, and they lied to the Holy Spirit, so they lied to God, the Holy Spirit, in the whole context, and when they did, they dropped dead right on the spot. Now, if we had the same power present today you'd see you'd, there'd be some quick funerals in our churches. So I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced on the basis of this 25 years of experience. Just from what I've seen, heard, and talked to people. So that's why there's a delay today. I think any man who is approaching the matter of membership in a church who is going to do a scriptural job is not simply going to take a person who walks the aisle this morning and put him in a pool at night. I mentioned this morning that I have that very same tragedy in my own family. I can't even talk to my brother and sister-in-law and niece and nephew today. They were baptized, folks, and that's what they're depending on. And they don't evidence any more salvation than my little puppy dog. They don't evidence any interest in Christ, any interest in his church, any interest in spiritual things. And they were baptized. So that's one of the reasons why we have the delay. Now this brother said, these people were brand new, and he said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. I would remind you that he wrote 29 chapters to these people. And there was little time between the two epistles. And over in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, if I may, may examine that with you, he's now coming to the end of his writing. And he says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Now that's after... Uh, 16 chapters of instruction in the first epistle and a delay in between and then a second epistle in which he writes answering some questions that were raised. So they did have instruction, they did have knowledge and he's still exercising much the same questioning spirit towards them in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Not too much has changed really. There's been some change but not any great change. Certainly, he speaks of them. I realize in chapter 1, about the first 11 or 12 verses, he speaks of their position in Christ. I guess it's the first 9 verses. 
and then he gets to the point of their state or their walk. And this is the area in which, after all, he doesn't baptize them into their position in Christ. He's concerned in the rest of these epistles, this epistle, as with their state or their walk. And this is what he's addressing himself to after verse 10. I hear it reported, it's commonly among you that there's this, that, and the other thing you say. So we must sort of draw a little line, imaginary line in our thinking when we're reading it, between what they were in Christ as those who were truly God's own people as we were discussing this morning, as over against what they were in state and walk. And I think this is the area because this baptizing, this baptizing of them would be a thing that would have to do with their state or their walk. Would you like to comment on that? Uh, well, I don't think that answered the question because uh, Paul's teaching and exhortations of the Corinthians did not take place before but after their baptism. Uh, we're not here in 1970, we're here back in the apostolic day when it says in Acts 18.8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. So it could not have been, it doesn't seem to me, dear brother, that because of a question of carnality or spirituality, he baptized some and didn't baptize others. These were people who were just saved. And evidently, as his helpers went around and were preaching the gospel, they baptized but he says he's glad he didn't baptize more of them. And I don't think the twelve could have said that. The twelve have been sent to baptize for the remission of sins. I don't believe uh, John could have said it. He was sent. He says, he sent me to baptize with water. Well, why did he say, I thank God I baptized none of you except, and put his finger upon a number of spiritually minded people? Well, true. It's because they were now boasting uh, as though they had some special uh, privilege, you might say, being baptized of Paul. But the point is that he still, all of that's understood. We agree with that, we, just like you do. But the fact is still that he could say, I thank God I baptized none of you except so many. Peter, no matter how carnal they were, could not have said that. He was sent to baptize for the remission of sins. And he could not have said that. Nor could uh, the disciples under the Great Commission have said that. He also says, and I, you didn't mention that, in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. That's right. That was not his primary mission. It but wasn't his mission at all. It wasn't, it, he wasn't sent to baptize. All right. Are you saying to me that uh, Peter would have baptized all kinds of people, come what may and not worry about, that Peter lived on a lower level spiritually than Paul did? Both men filled with the same... He lived in a, in a different dispensation when water baptism was required for the remission of sins. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And that had not to do with a, a Christian's spiritual or carnal conduct. It had to do merely with the terms of salvation. Did Peter preach in Acts chapter 10 that these people were to be baptized with water for the remission of sins uh, at the house of Cornelius? All right. Can we turn a minute to... Acts 10, do we have time to do that? Why are we here? Acts 10. Look. And he himself repeats this. Here's Peter uh, telling about Israel and Judea, Christ and Jesus of Nazareth, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, and so no, just on. Let me interrupt a minute. Let's, yeah. let's go back a little bit. Let's, okay. stick with, let's stick with the key areas here. Verse 34 of Acts 10. Right. Then Peter opened his mouth. It said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, the same truth that Paul teaches in Romans 2.11, but in every nation, that's every nation now, yeah. he that feareth God, worketh righteousness, is accepted of him. Now, am I supposed to delete that as far as Paul is concerned? Would Paul say, every nation, he that just comes and says, uh, I believe, and just does as he pleases, that, that he's accepted of him? Well, certainly if he's not, if he doesn't sincerely believe. Well, that's what I'm raising. Now, right. he, he is teaching these people along this line. He's, he's, he's got his eyes open because he was a bigoted Jew, and now he's getting his eyes open. He says, every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness, I, I think that that is uh, incumbent upon us today as believers. In the light of Paul's clear teachings, is accepted with him. Now, when he goes on and preaches Jesus Christ in verse 38... He goes on and preaches that he's witnesses of these things, 
uh, of course, that the, who went about doing good, healing all of the oppressed devil. I realize it in there. But then he gets down here, verse 39, just as in Acts 2, 22 and 24, as I mentioned this morning, where he centers upon Calvary. He says that Jesus Christ was slain and hanged on a tree. There's Calvary, the same as Acts 2, 22 and 24. He's raised from the dead, and not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him and so forth. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be a judge of the living and the dead. That's Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word, only those that heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as, as came with Peter, because that all the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, just like Acts 2. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now this matter of baptizing them has nothing at all except earlier the context to say about receive remission of sins and they are to receive the remission of sins in the context here on the basis of the work that Christ accomplished. Now may I present my view of this. <clears throat> First of all, Peter went to Cornelius against his own feeling about the matter, did he not? Right. He said, Lord, you know nothing unclean or common has ever touched me. The Lord says, now you go, you go, nothing doubt you. And Peter went. When he got there, he said, as we've just read, uh, Of a truth I perceive, God is no respecter of persons. For, uh, but in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. First of all, let me say that it appears to me quite clear that he means not accepted in the sense of being saved. Because, remember, uh, the... Uh, the uh, word had already come to him that uh, uh, to Peter remember the angel had appeared to Peter and said that your works have come up as a remembrance before God and send for Simon Peter who will tell thee words whereby thou shalt be saved so he was, they were accepted for salvation but alright we'll leave that either way now Paul is preaching or Peter and he gets to verse 43 to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Here is where prophecy and the mystery that Paul proclaimed synchronize. Remember the Great Commission itself says he that, what's the first word? Believeth and is baptized. And he that believeth not, which is will not be baptized. Now, Here's the thing that most people forget or overlook. Verse 44. While Peter yet spake. Look please at the next chapter. Verse 15. As he began or as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. He would have said more. He was working under the Great Commission. He would have said just what he said in Acts 2.38. He was sent not only to the Jew, he was sent to all the world to preach this message to every creature and to make disciples of every nation. And had he not been interrupted, we have scripture to tell us what he would have said. He would have said, all right, now that you believe, be baptized for the remission of sins. But he didn't get a chance. This is one of the several interrupted sermons or speeches of the book of Acts. While he had spake, what happens? Well, something happened that, according to the previous program, was not to have happened until they got baptized. If you repent and be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized, these signs shall follow. But now here is Peter preaching, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. That is, for power, and in miraculous power. Well, that didn't seem right. It was out of the order that he had been bought... God, he says in the next chapter, verse 17, What was I that I could withstand God? He took it out of my hand. I just quoted that the prophets all give witness to this, that it's through Christ. Well, of course, that's true. John the Baptist taught that. The, the Twelve taught that. 
But while Peter yet spake these words, he didn't get a chance to open. As soon as he said it's through Christ, God said, wait, stop right there. You see. And then they received the Holy Spirit, and it says, they of the circumcision that believed were astonished. This was not according to the program they had been following. This was something that, well, how could this be? Here these Gentiles, without even being baptized, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, the answer is, this is one of those first departures. It's after the raising up of Paul. And Peter himself did it so that nobody could ever say, well, Paul, that's a separate thing. He can do what he wants. But this is, the Lord sent these twelve out. Now they'd have to say, well, Peter himself went. And people that simply believed received the Holy Spirit. Brother Crawford throughout the day, those of you who are not here, he has a cute little approach. He talks about reading between the lines, you know, the white spots on the pages. Uh, my dear brother, this idea of that sermon being in a why, why did the Holy Spirit interrupt himself, or the God interrupt the Holy Spirit there through Peter, so that we, we've necessary for us to have symposiums like this to arrive at conclusions? It would seem to me that if anything else had to be said there, that you and I need to know, the Holy Spirit would have said it. That's right. That's why he stopped Peter right there. Nothing that's needed to be said now. Well, then, no, then there, has to be, there has to be something said. There has to be something more said to me besides reading what's on the white pages and between the lines in order to convince me of what you have just said. The fact of the matter is these, these Gentiles, these people who didn't know anything at all about this and were just there by benefit of God's grace to Cornelius, they received the Holy Spirit and they were baptized, obviously, in water. He mentions it. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord, right in that context. So, uh, I mean, I can't see a God who has given us 66 books to reveal himself to us. Why, in this particular area, he just stopped short so that we couldn't be sure of our grandma. I, I think what is there, I think we have to accept what is there and not go someplace else and add to what is there. What isn't it there? That he says, through uh, this name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And he stopped there. Having he been sent to preach, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved to Gentiles as well as Jews. Wasn't that under the Great Commission? Hadn't he been told to preach to them, repent, and be baptized for the remission of yes, sins? But, but he didn't do it here. Yeah, he stop. Verse 43, the remission of sins here, and, and emphasizing something. The Holy Ghost fell upon them, or the Holy Spirit. I, I don't, uh, I have difficulty with ghosts. Yeah. I follow we in every other time. Right. And, and they of the circumcision, which believe were astonished, like I have no trouble with that, as many as came with Peter, because of on the Gentiles also was the poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter, Did any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which had received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Nothing is said about their being baptized for mission of sins here. This is what he preached. They're being baptized in the name of the Lord. So isn't that a departure from the Great Commission? It's a departure. Definitely, but that's the point that I'm making. The remission of sins is not in this context as that which is involved in the baptism is in the past. Right, is, so that's a departure it, from yes, the Great Commission. They're first, if you want to take the language going back to Acts 2, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then they were baptized in water in the name of the Lord. Right? I don't, yes, but I don't get the relevance. I'm slow, I'm sorry, I'm Dutch. You have to be patient. Well, may I say this? If this is a departure from the baptism associated with the Great Commission, then today the church must be experiencing even more of a departure from the Great Commission. Oh, no. As I said this morning, the Bible is a progressive revelation. Uh, I'm one of those fellows who believe that the Great Commission carries on, and I'm one of those fellows who sees it carrying on. As I said, I see baptism under repentance, under the remission of sins in the synoptics. I see the same man associated with a baptism that is related to the obvious appearing of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And I recognize the departure there. That wasn't the, the place where we started out. I said that there is nothing here of they being baptized for the remission of sin. They were baptized in the name of the Lord. Right. Is this different then than the Great Commission baptism? 
Is it different? No, I don't think it's a formula different. Let me... What does it say? Go ye therefore and disciple. That's the word that I believe should be used there. Make disciples, any way you want to put it. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, this, this is not only what I believe as far as the Great Commission is concerned, but I believe this is very practical truth, not only spiritual, but practical. I have found as a pastor that the only people I can teach is a disciple. And disciple all things that Christ commanded. And, and you, you are you, you, you do some Bible teaching yourself. You know as well as I do. You can have uh, forty people before you, and you can stand up and teach the same lesson. And some of those people uh, go away with the message that you presented, and some of them go away more or less empty. And if you do any visiting, you know that. Now, the, the distinction there is between the disciple in that class and the believer in that class. Now, they're both positionally in Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. But the one is a learner or a pupil or, a, or one who is being taught and trained, and the other is one who is just, just saved. That's what I'm saying. And I, as I said this morning, I think this is the failure of the church today and the success and the blessing of the church the other day. They went out and they discipled people. Now, they could do it more readily than we can because of the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit does a job, I think we'll all agree on this, he does it right. But in these days, there are so, there are so many other things that have come in, uh, even one who occupies a pulpit all the time. I wish I could feel more of the Spirit in the pulpit, to tell you the truth, whether in my own or in others in which I'm preaching. These other elements creep in simply because of our, I'll be perfectly frank about the carnal state of the church, as evidenced by the many things that are going on. Aren't we, aren't we getting far afield here? The question, you quoted Matthew, you didn't quote Mark. Mark adds to Matthew. Mark gives additional information. It says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Yes. These people were saved before they were baptized, weren't they? In, uh, in Acts 2.38. Peter, working under that commission, otherwise he was disobeying it, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit, so he must have been obeying it, says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which they already had. They were speaking with tongues. Now, with Cornelius, all of a sudden they're speaking with the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. I say, is that not a departure? Yes, I have no trouble with that. No problem with that. Well, then we're not working on the Great Commission. The thing that I'm talking about is that these people received, were not baptized for the remission of sins, as I read that text, but simply in the name of the Lord. Right. So then they're not working under the Great Commission, is that right? That's a departure from the Great Commission. You don't agree. You're agreeing with one another. No, I don't see a departure from the Great Commission. I have difficulty with that. We aren't through with the Great Commission, I'm sure about it. Mike? I had a question this morning. I wanted to have a question this morning, Brother David, but I think Brother Sam raised a question, but I don't think he's got answered. Maybe Paul raised it. Uh, is this, if I'm not, if not mistaken, I believe you said, Brother David, that uh, you did not feel personally, as you said, you kind of departed from your Baptist brethren in this area, you did not feel that a person who was not immersed was necessarily a disobedient Christian. Is that a fair way of what you said? Um, I, that is not what I said. Right. Let's, let's get this corrected. Uh, I have been misquoted several times today, and I don't want to leave here in a few minutes of being misquoted. I said that I am not, in my position as a pastor, pastor, positioned there by God to sit in judgment upon people. So I am not going to say whether a person is obedient or disobedient. Now, naturally, according to what I've been saying here all day, unless I'm the most confused man that was ever born, and lived and breathed and walked and talked, I believe that a person who has been saved by the grace of God ought to be, ought to follow the Lord in baptism. I don't come to them and say, you have to follow the Lord in baptism. And as I said this morning, I don't say that you cannot fellowship in our church. The only thing that I am saying is, and, I, and this is where I got on difficulty today, because of my conviction, because I believe there are two ordinances, and I still believe that they are functioning today, they cannot become members of that church. Now, there's a difference. I have people come in and fellowship, 
participate, enjoy the whole program, but they are not voting members of the congregation. Well, now, and that's my question. Uh, uh, from what you said, you have clarified from what I understood you say. Yes. Now, my question would be, if you do not want to be the person to decide whether or not this person is a believer, would you feel that you should not permit, we'll say, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, this was mentioned this morning, to be a member of your church? And your answer was, well, I couldn't be a member of it. That's not enough. All right, let's put it this way. For for 15 years, for not 15, for about 10 or 11 years that I was in uh, uh, Philadelphia, I, I, I was a member of the same minister's group to which Dr. Donald Ray Barnes. I wasn't a member of the 10th Presbyterian Church, and he wasn't a member of my church because I didn't have one. I was a radio preacher. But we ministers gathered together, and he served me communion, and I served him communion. And as I said this morning, he was baptized, and don't you think he wasn't, my dear brother, according to the precepts of his church. He was sold on it. And so am I. And so were they all. Baptized, but he wasn't immersed. No, he was baptized according to the precepts of his church. He was a Presbyterian, through and through. You know, just like a scotchman. And uh, he, he, he was baptized, and that's what I'm saying. Now, this did not forbid fellowship. It did not forbid anything. We gathered together once a month and had a hallelujah time. And there were some name men in that gathering that I could call the role of. Percy Crawford, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, Merrill T. McPherson. Anthony Z. Uh, Anthony Z.